and happy new year. Now, welcome to a live stream that I have been so excited to jump straight in with and a partnership I'm really thrilled to be having with Real Vision Finance and Royal Pal is joining me on the line now. We're taking a look at 2022 crypto predictions. My name's Jessica. I'll be representing CoinMarketCap. First of all, Royal, happy new year. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Happy new year to you. Thank you so much. Now, I am very curious, just jumping straight in, 2022 so far, how has it been for you when it comes to crypto? I'm very curious if you potentially bought any new crypto so far this year. If you have, what have you bought and why? I, I have added a bit to Ethereum, and I'll add more. I haven't yet. I will broaden out and do some more stuff. I'm trying to decide what to look at. I'm probably looking at some of the beaten down DeFi tokens and some other areas of the market that have been kind of beaten down because this we've had this kind of big sloppy sideways range now for months and months and months and months and months. But some of the some of the market's been killed within that. So I'm starting to look at that stuff. Haven't yet deployed any money to it, but but getting there. But I have been buying ETH. Keeping your eyes closed on the prize and Ethereum as well. Because I'm also very curious. We always ask if you're a new trader, where would you kind of position yourself? But I'm now also curious because we are seeing a slight more maturing market in 2022. If you were a more experienced trader, maybe even in the market two or three years, and you have, say, $50,000 to allocate, what would you look at allocating right now based on the previous trends that we have seen uh, and where we're looking to head moving forward? So I look at it in terms of network effects, where what networks are growing within crypto. So Ethereum's the the kind of biggest, most robust network in terms of the number of developers, the number of people investing in it. So that makes that one of your base, you know, investments. Bitcoin being the OG in the space is another base investment. But then you want to start probably going a little bit further out on the risk curve. So we're seeing these layer ones, um, stuff like Terra. Um, Avalanche and um, probably Solana. Interesting. Then I think maybe 2022 is going to be the year of interoperability. So we're looking at, you know, Polygon, Quant, and a few other things that might give us those opportunities. And DeFi has been quiet now for a year and a half. So I think we might see the next wave of DeFi, along with NFTs and social tokens. So there's a lot to play for still this year, lots, lots happening. And it's true because last year was this parabolic year of you kind of mentioned already NFTs, DeFi. It was it was a huge year. Also, from my side as a sideline watcher, DAOs, it was a very big year for fully optimizing DAOs potential. People were starting to understand some of the tangible use cases we could have. Um, and first of all, I'd like to get your perspective on, on the DAO space. And then I'm going to hit you with some theoretical DAO takeover questions. Right. I mean, Look, the DAO space is really interesting. It's very early. It's really suitable to some stuff like Flamingo DAO investing, really interesting. Ownership of assets, Constitution DAO, really interesting. I mean, it failed to do what it was supposed to do, but the genie's out of the bottle. So DAOs are going to be used for political capital fundraising. So I think the DAO structure is interesting. It's a great way of organizing groups of people. I don't think it's perfect for all projects because some need more leadership than others. Um, but I think DAOs are here to stay, um, and we will just see them evolving a lot over time as people figure out what's the right mechanism to get the right community involvement and getting some sort of consensus mechanism out, out of a bunch of individuals. 
And it's very interesting. It's almost like when blockchain was first kind of coming into fruition and there was a lot of blockchain use cases that some people would argue didn't necessarily need blockchain and some that were fantastic examples. Uh, there was one theoretical DAO scenario that I did want to ask you about. Obviously, 2020 and forward was the year of the vaccine versus non-vaccine debate. debate. Pfizer has a market cap of $315 billion. Theoretically, based on the fact that crypto market cap is around $2 trillion at present, Theoretically, could we see a DAO that could take over Pfizer and kind of shut down this vaccine, anti-vaccine uh, debate that we have going on now? How does the DAO shut it down? What's your what's your thinking? If they accumulate Pfizer, for example, as one of yeah. the leading suppliers around the world, they could choose to stop all rollouts of Pfizer. They could choose to halt production. Uh, and that would kind of create a slight supply chain disruption. Look, I mean, the question is, is can DAOs be used for other means? Yes. I mean, that's what the Constitution DAO idea was, right? You can coalesce a group of people super quick because of the network effects of being, you know, in this kind of Web3 internet world and move pools of capital around for certain reasons. I mean, there's a DAO trying to buy an NBA team. There's a DAO trying to buy, you know, golf clubs. There's, you know, so yes, it can be used for all sorts of things and it will be used for nefarious things too, because how do you regulate the damn things? You know, if you want to sue a DAO for doing something, let's say corporate takeover activity, how do you sue a DAO? We haven't gone through that yet. Um, we also haven't gone through what a DAO means in mergers and acquisitions. You know, if let's say an equity has a DAO attached to it, which some entities do, well, what happens if somebody tries to buy the equity? What happens to the DAO? So I don't know. There's a whole bunch of stuff that can happen with this. And this could be the year to solve it out. I think what's interesting as well when it comes to political structures, I used to live in Malta, which is a very small island in the Mediterranean. I know you're based in Cayman Islands. These kind of smaller incubator countries also could be quite interesting for adoption of a political structure DAO. What's your thoughts on that? I think political structure DAOs are interesting. Again, we don't yet know how well DAOs actually kind of distribute power amongst a group of people, whether it makes it more democratic or not, because we've seen a lot of the DAO structures have VCs in them who have more votes. So I'm not sure, but I do think DAO structures and tokenized DAO structures can work for municipalities, small countries, small governments in a more effective way. I mean, here we are on the Cayman Islands, and I'm sure same with Malta, it's a small town that's a country. And what happens is politicians become really small town. You know, they still end up, as opposed to caring about, you know, <clears throat> something that's really, truly good for the nation, they end up wanting to win the votes over fighting over a neighbor's fence. And it becomes a ridiculous situation. Um, so, I, th you know, there are different structures that would definitely help for voting and uh, for a more democratic society. But it's not clear yet that DAOs have done that either. Okay, so it's a watch the space. Because also Shapeshift last year coming into the kind of DAO ecosystem, was that something that you were watching and thinking, you know, maybe I would invest in these these large companies that I've been following for a while. I trust the the corporate structure. Now they've moved into DAOs. I do have a bit more reassurance uh, that the model will kind of continue on in a positive way. Again, you don't know. It depends what the community decides, right? You don't you don't get mm -hmm. the choice. Now, if you're if you're backing a particular person and you share their sense of vision, then generally speaking, it may it should remain aligned for a period of time. Not always, right? People drift. Like Google, do no evil, didn't really last very long. But um, 
But with a DAO, it depends what the community does. I mean, the DAO can pivot immediately and can turn it into a political organization, which you didn't want. So, you know, I don't think there's any panacea. There's no perfect solution. And I don't think DAOs are the answer to everything. I just think they're really interesting for some things, particularly when the hive mind um, can produce better results, like investments, I think, brilliant ideas. Um you know, we've been. I was talking to somebody today about a research DAO. Brilliant idea. I think there'll be DAOs based around scientific research and all sorts of stuff. Whether you could fund it, um, give it a a kind of sense of direction, and and let it establish itself. Really interesting. Fantastic. So now moving on, because I think I've picked your brains enough on DAOs, we do have to start now with the OG of the space, which is Bitcoin, and just what your expectations are for 2022, because 2021 was a year very exciting for people in the crypto space when it comes to people that have been watching and advocating Bitcoin for, for a few years. What are you expecting for Bitcoin when it comes to potentially more balance sheets to add Bitcoin this year? Well, Bitcoin needs a shot in the arm, essentially, um, from network effects, because we're seeing less activity than we are elsewhere. So you need to drive new participants into the space. One thing I do know is institutions are coming into the space, but I think it's switching a little bit from the direct Bitcoin access to VC access and hedge fund access and other ways. So I do think we'll see some more balance sheet stuff, but the problem is the accounting laws still don't help. So for gap accounting in the US particular, um, they have to market to worse price. And so you just it, it's a real nightmare on a balance sheet. So until that gets resolved, we won't see many more corporations do it. Flip side, we're seeing all the banks building crypto businesses, and of which Bitcoin is the um, the predominant one, Bitcoin and ETH again. So I do think the banks will have them not in their balance sheets, essentially, but but in their trading books. Um, and I think we will see more pension funds and institutional investors. And I think this year might be the year of the sovereign wealth fund. You know, it would be really surprising if if Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Kuwait. Uh, I know I think Singapore already has it on their balance sheet. Saudi, I think there's a whole bunch of these that I think will start doing it. They've already been doing VC investments in the space. I think they'll start coming into the space in terms of physical ownership of Bitcoin. And for people that are watching that thinks, oh, that sounds great, but what would a sovereign wealth fund for Bitcoin, what would that actually do to, for example, the price and also just for that next stage of adoption and even acceptance across regions? Well, I think it's the, it's the, it's the real sign of acceptance. Um, in terms of adoption, yes, it, it allows other pension funds to own it, other large pools of capital. Um, now, the, the key thing about these sovereign wealth funds is they have gigantic um, assets. So even a half a percent weight is you know billions and billions and billions of dollars. So when they come into the space, it's going to be meaningful and they'll be in it forever. Um, so that's something to really keep an eye on because when that starts happening at scale, it'll move the price for sure. And it will drive pension funds to come in and kind of other players. I am going to pick your brain on price, but I'm going to wait till later on in the conversation because I do want to start our chat going on the YouTube and get everyone to to comment what they think your price prediction for one Bitcoin by the end of the year is going to be. And we're going to even, shout out some know. of the predictions. <laughs> along the way. You have some time to think about it as well. Um, one prediction that we are seeing as well, Bitcoin spot futures ETF, obviously last year with the Bitcoin futures, that was slightly correlated to all-time high price. Are you expecting to see Bitcoin spot futures come along? 
they haven't given us a hint that it is. And it's bizarre because what they've done, you know, if if Gens's idea was to protect the little guy, he's completely screwed them by giving them a futures contract that trades at a dis- discount. And so suddenly the ETF now doesn't track the price of Bitcoin. Same with the um, same with the GPC trust. So they should do something, but we've not heard any noise that they will. <clears throat> so I'm not sure. Meanwhile, every other country's launching ETFs. I think India's just launched an ETF on Bitcoin. Canada, there's there's um, ETPs in Germany. So they're coming anyway, whether the US gets there or not. Everywhere else will get them. Watch this space. Exactly. You mentioned Gensler there, and I, I do have to pick your brain because a lot of analysts are voicing frustrations at the SEC and saying that they have been very patient when it comes to watching the, the SEC accept Bitcoin as kind of the markets have matured now, the crypto industry is better now. We should start to see the SEC work with crypto a little bit better. What's your thoughts on expectations from the SEC this year? And also, if you had one statement to kind of give, what would you what would you direct to them? So I think the SEC is fighting its own turf war with the CFTC, the OCC, the Fed, and everybody else who wants to regulate Bitcoin and crypto. So they're fighting war by saying, we're going to be tough on these people. Now, don't forget, the US government is full of baby boomers. So it's an old group of people who mistrust and have a fear of change. So there's that. So I think that's the fight that the SEC wants to have, and they want to look like they're in control of this. Meanwhile, there's 86 million millennials and what, 70-something million Gen Z who are now voters, who have a lot of money. And we've seen them as soon as you shake the cage, you rattle the cage about, um, about banning crypto or trying to do something nefarious to crypto, they they get together very fast. This is why I'm thinking about the Dow structure. My guess is we're now getting into political season in the US. People are going to start to put together a Dow structure to support politicians of both sides um, that support the adoption of cryptocurrency. And people don't want to fight young, wealthy voters in gigantic numbers. So I think that fight's going to come. And I think the outcome should be, and here's my advice, is they need to walk away from the securities law the 1934 securities law. It is unacceptable to tell people that they are not allowed to make certain investments versus others while making it completely allowable to go to a casino and blow everything. I mean, it's so inconsistent. You can buy a gun, but you can't invest in a private company. I mean, how dare they do that? And you've got a very large group of young people who have an all-time record value equity market, bond market, real estate market. Here's the opportunity of a lifetime. And you think it's right to stop them. So I think people need to change the rules. I spoke to the chief fintech officer of Singapore on Real Vision recently. And he, I said, how is Singapore doing it? And he said, well, what we've done is just said, we'll give you risk warnings. So we tell you that it's a risky thing, that it's an early stage investment, and that it could go to zero, but feel free to invest. And like that seems much more sensible way of going about it than saying, well, if you're, if you're not worth a million dollars, you know, the day you're worth $999,000, you're not allowed to to invest in certain things. And the, the day you go over, suddenly you're now smarter and experienced. It's ridiculous. So it has to stop. If that does stop, if what you're saying, if this 1930s securities law is abolished, what would you expect it to do for the 
the stages of America right now when it comes to being open for cryptocurrency business, would you start to see more innovation in the space? Would you start to see more companies kind without, of sell? Without question. Regulatory clarity. The US is really the home of tech innovation between China and the US. Now, China's a closed economy. Yes, some of their businesses are globalized, obviously. But the US is the home of all of this. And they have the first mover advantage. They have the passion within the industry in the US. You know, if you go back to the UK, it's so far behind. Europe's so far behind when you come to crypto. The US is the epicenter. And if they free up regulation, you're going to see, you know, gazillions of dollars pouring into the US economy to let this innovation grow, just as Silicon Valley did. I mean, look, out of Silicon Valley, you might have banned internet because of free speech and whatever. They tried to do it with Facebook and Google and everybody. You didn't. What did you create? Some of the biggest companies in the world. Now, they come with downside. Uh, you know, they have, um, they've, they've got issues in, in their business models, but they bought hundreds and no trillions and trillions of dollars into the US. So that's why they that's why it's important. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And I think there is a lot of Dubai has kind of been an open hub for for consumers and Puerto Rico is also <laughs> the dogs walking into the shop. We love to hear I know, the dogs um, are always walking in and out. <laughs> uh, but while we are on the topic of of countries one thing that we do kind of consistently see throughout every year of crypto adoption is China looking at some form of cryptocurrency enforcement, cryptocurrency ban, mining ban. This year, are you expecting any movements from them? Because it does seem to have a correlation on the markets. Yeah. So we took out maybe 50% of all active wallet addresses um, when China banned it. I mean, if you look at the active addresses, I mean, it fell. Now, a bunch of them were people who, who kind of stopped trading because of the sell-off in May. Um, but let's say 30% of the entire market left. So it has a big difference. Now, the rest of the world will catch up. India's growing, other countries are growing, Nigeria's growing, et cetera. So I think it gets replaced. But yes, of course. I mean, if you've got 1.3 billion people and you take them out of the crypto market, that doesn't help. Really interesting to see the news that came out yesterday or today that um, they want to encourage NFTs, but on some sort of centralized blockchain, some weird kind of hybrid thing. It's kind of, you know, China likes control of its money and control of its people, and they don't want to lose it. My guess is, look, we all know that almost every single transaction ever done in crypto is is there for everybody to see. So the Chinese authorities, I don't think, mind it in the end. They want two things. One, stop capital flight. So, okay. And the easy way to do that is they want to introduce their central bank digital currency, once everybody's in the central bank digital currency, then you can track every transaction as it goes in and out. And then they don't care anymore because they can stop it. They can they can measure it. They can see who's doing what. Right now, you can't really see who's doing what. So I think that's what, personally, I think that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to say, right, stop. We want to know what money's in the system. Who's got it? Put it on this new central bank digital currency. And then we're in control of our own destiny and people are free to do what they want. I don't think they want to stop uh, Chinese consumers participating in the global economy. But, so I think it's a temporary phenomena for a purpose. And what's your opinion on it overall? Is it something that you view as positive because they're still moving towards the digital era? Or is it something that you view as kind of uh, defeating the point of this advocacy of decentralization that we are working towards? Um, I think if they can still access this world of crypto, even though the, some of it is centralized, 
That's better than nothing. I mean, you and I send money to our crypto accounts from a bank. It's a centralized bank. We don't go, well, I'm not going to do that because, you know, the bank's centralized. It's like, you know, we live in a world that's imperfect. It will always be imperfect. Some things are better centralized. Some things shouldn't be centralized, but are centralized. It's okay. As long as people have got access to this decentralized world, then people can build things, invest in things, and kind of change that world. And one thing that we did notice when we saw the the China movements and uh, enforcement of the ban is we saw some movement into Kazakhstan, especially from mining powers. What's your take on recently we saw the kind of geopolitical tensions in, in Kazakhstan, the internet shut down, and some people were saying that could slightly be reflected in hash mining prices and also potentially even the price of Bitcoin. Was that something that you agreed with? And what was your take? Um, I just think the Bitcoin mining industry is incredibly efficient. We took out 40% or 50% of the world's miners in China and nothing happened. Yes, the Chinese, you know, uh, you know the, um, Chinese investors were taken out of the market, but I don't think the mining change was the big change in price. And they set up super fast in Texas, Kazakhstan, Iran, all over the world. So I think it's it's a it's a distributed network. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. It's super secure. You know, if you take out 50% of the entire mining and nothing really happened, then it works perfectly. All systems go. Is yeah. there a risk, though, when it comes to reliance on internet connection that actually well, look, that's- if, we, if the world loses the internet, then we've got bigger problems to deal with than this. I mean, it's a nonsense argument. People come, well, it's reliance on the internet. Well, if there's no internet, there's no banks, there's no food delivery, there's no cash registers, there's no payment systems, there's no telephone, there's no nothing. So we are a world reliant on the internet. People will finally have to start talking to each other in person. Heaven forbid the internet stops. Outrageous. And the gold guys can have their day. Peter Schiff will be extremely optimistic. It's finally his hour. He won't be able to call anybody and tell them. And he won't be able to post on Twitter. We'll get a letter two weeks after. So now moving on to ETH 2.0, another exciting calendar event for for those in crypto. And I know you are kind of, you're very optimistic on on this. What are you expecting from Ethereum price from this? Um, And also the the Ethereum price structure building up to ETH 2.0. So, you know, it's the the structure leading up is I don't know because there's a bunch of things going on, which is the network's been slow because retail investors have had their earnings crimped by inflation. So they've had less marginal money to be able to put in. There's the Fed tightening, central banks tightening. So there's a lot going on in this picture right now, which is why these prices have been wide ranging and sideways. Usually these big events are a turning point one way or the other. So if you went into it at a high in ETH, much like we went into the ETF or we went into the Coinbase listing, Coinbase listing was the absolute high to the day. Because what you did with a Coinbase listing is you gave people another alternative. So before they were forced into opening Bitcoin accounts, then they didn't have to. So they bought the equity and you lost billions or tens of billions of dollars of demand. So it depends what happens to ETH 2.0 and where it is. Because if the prices are high, then all of the people who've been staking are likely to take profits when they can unstake. Now, when they unlock that stake, Everybody else in the market knows that there'll be a seller, so you'll force them out at a lower price. It's just how markets work. If we go in at a low, then it's going to be like the Bitcoin halving, where suddenly this triple halving event happens, 
and the price just recovers automatically because so much ETH is burned. So I don't really know. You know, I was expecting ETH to have been stronger into the back end of the year. And so therefore, I was expecting this whole thing to be at a high. I just don't know yet. But you did buy some more ETH. I did. In January, in 20, oh, yeah, I'm, so. still, I'm still bullet. I mean, I haven't sold a single thing. I've done nothing but buy for 18 months, and I haven't sold a single thing. 18 months, yeah, 20 months now. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. I did watch a video of yours from October 2020, and you said that Bitcoin was in this super massive black hole. The narrative will continue to grow for 18 months. And I was like, 18 months is quite specific. What happens after the 18 months? And the 18 months will be around March. Was there an intention behind March 2022, or was it more frequent? No, it was actually around the previous Bitcoin halving cycles and how long they last for. And previous price charts suggested that around March would be the peak. But that whole pattern fell apart in December. So everybody was expecting the rally. Market loves pain. It chooses to do the opposite for this lack of network growth and a bunch of this other things. So, so therefore, it kind of suggests that the structure of the halving cycles has changed. And I think that's probably right. And I think the downside will be less. Maybe we're in a bear market, and maybe the bear market is down 30, 40, 50%, as opposed to down 80%, which was the previous ones. Maybe the cycles are shorter. Um, I've looked at Amazon in the past. It used to start with big, violent swings, down 95%, then down 80%, down 60%, and then it just did this and just went up. I kind of think that's what network adoption looks like. The more people come onto the network, the less downside there is. Yes, it doesn't spike as high, but the uptrend is stronger and the cycles tend to be shorter. So that's kind of my working hypothesis right now. We'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. But I kind of think the cycles are shorter and um, less deep. And I think what's interesting as well, staking has played a huge element in this. And also the NFT metaverse boom for my side, almost gives this kind of cushioning and support to two vulnerable Ethereum prices. Is that kind of the case from your side? You're well, so, so if you think about it, what makes a network really robust is not only investors in it, i.e. token holders, but when people are developing on it, and then you're developing other projects on it that also have investors on top, you're creating network effects. So if you think of ETH in those terms, so there's now demand for the network, which is why ETH is so expensive. Gas fees are so expensive because everybody wants to use ETH. Okay. And then you've got the other phenomena where those expensive gas fees are going to burning ETH. So what you're doing is taking ETH out of supply as well. And that's, I think, the key reason why ETH was up 450% last year and Bitcoin was up 60%. It's to do with the robustness of the network and that burning of tokens <clears throat> and the fact that Bitcoin doesn't have a theory, uh, doesn't have NFTs, doesn't have smart contracts. It doesn't have any of this on it. It's got the lightning layer, but the lightning layer, basically what it does is batches a bunch of transactions on one blockchain slot. So you're actually not using vast amounts of the network. So I think that's why Bitcoin, um, Ethereum did so well versus Bitcoin last year. This year then, continuing on, are you expecting to see the NFT boom? Because a lot of people are saying, well, if, is NFTs a bubble? That was a 2021 phase and fad, and it's going to slow down now. What's your take on the NFT super cycle that we saw last year? Um, I think NFTs are here to stay. I think we will see a lot of volatility in price because it's really hard to know what project's good and what's not. Um, I think it's also going to morph towards music. Um, I think it's going to morph. I'm seeing one about book publishing 
where a guy has raised the, the money to write a book and a screenplay, which will end up being a film. So I think we're going to see all sorts of new applications for the creative industries and other industries coming out of NFTs. And it won't just be the PFP kind of part of it where, you know, everybody's showing that. That was just the, the early start of this. And some of those projects will get decimated and some will just continue to do well because, you know, people have decided that those have value and you want to be part of that community. And I know you do uh, value several other things as well as just the cryptocurrency industry when it comes to observing companies and also uh, growth of different uh, stocks and kind of treasuries. The, the metaverse trend, I'm very curious to get your thoughts on this. And has it been comparable when it comes to the, the rate of adoption and the rate of interest to anything you've ever seen before? Metaverse, no. So crypto, yes, right? So crypto is the internet back in 1997. Um, had 160 million users and was growing at 63% a year. Um, the um, digital asset market has about 160 million users and is growing at 113% a year. So it's the fastest growing adoption of any technology in all history. The metaverse itself is slow adoption. Um, so we're not seeing anybody using Sandbox or Decentraland or anything, really. You know, people are still using Fortnite and Roblox and stuff like that. So we're not seeing metaverse per se in terms of those digital worlds. The metaverse of the fact that you and I are in different continents and different countries, but doing this digitally, I mean, that wasn't really easy to do a while ago, but this is part of the metaverse, you know, the digitization of everything that we do. So it is happening all around us, but these digital worlds, you know, we've just seen Apple today announce that it's moving, it's delaying the release of its AR um, glasses, which everybody's been waiting for. So we're not there yet. So I think it's um, it's speculation and interest, really early stage. Um, but later, you know, in five years' time, then we'll be at the teeth of the middle of something much bigger where people are starting to get it and realize, you know, what was Mark Zuckerberg talking about? Hate it or love meta. It's still going to be one of these metaverse experiences. Tim Sweeney and Epic Games will have started moving further into the space. Brands will have, you know, and there'll be a blending of all of this kind of world. And these NFTs will be movable between different places and usable in different ways. It's all coming, but it's really, 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 really early. Have you tested out the metaverse yet? Any kind of different platforms and applications? Yeah, so we've at Real Vision, we've got a headquarters in in crypto voxels. So we've got a we've got a um, headquarters. We've got um, an NFT art gallery that um, um, Sergio Silva put together for us with you know, Beeple works and all sorts of works that were lent to us by um, lots of great collectors. You know, Akus are in there, all of that. Um, we've got a theater to showcase Real Vision stuff so people can come to the auditorium. We've got a shop in there where you can buy Real Vision merch. We've got a bunch of TVs around with different screens and stuff you can play with, a bunch of Easter eggs, all sorts of stuff. Very creative and a Beeple artwork as well. That couldn't have come cheap. <laughs> no, we didn't buy it. We borrow it. So we, we went to the collection and said, do you mind if we, we show your NFT collection? And then there's a descriptor where they are on OpenSea. You can see all about it. It's really, it's really cool. Nice. So a jazzy Christmas party in the Real Vision Metaverse office. Exactly, exactly right.
I'll wait for my invite next time. Very <laughs> excited. Uh, so now we look at, so we've talked about uh, metaverse, we talked about NFTs and this booming trend. One thing now that I do really want to ask you about is we've covered Ethereum, the likes of Solana, the likes of Avalanche, the likes of Cardano. This year, what's your expectations for these? Because we've talked about Ethereum and what you're expecting. What about these other solutions? They've been moving fast because of Ethereum's expensive or slow versus some of the use cases. And so those have seen network effects as people have come away from using Ethereum. So it's a replacement trade. It's not new money coming into this. So it's just been basically a rotation. When everybody's looking at the rotation to continue, because everyone's now figured out, oh, yeah, these layer ones, that's what we need. They don't work anymore. So it moves to the next thing. And whether that's interoperability, whether it's you know beating up DeFi because nobody's interested in DeFi anymore, I don't know. All I do know is that when everybody's looking at something, it doesn't happen. So everyone close your laptops, turn away. Something that I did know that you were watching and I saw, I saw a tweet recently and it did spark my interest is I saw Real Vision's interest in looking at India as a region and looking at <clears> India when it comes to um, how it was planned to move forward and reaching out to different universities and schools. What is the interest there? What was the thought process behind that? So we started Real Vision India. Um, with two people. Um, the ex-head uh, of Goldman Sachs India is actually our chairman. Um, he's another Real Vision fanatic um, and somebody from JP Morgan. Um, we've just started, but the, I'm half Indian, so I'm pretty familiar with the place. And um, it's a gigantic English-speaking market with massive cryptocurrency adoption. Um, and crypto, it's already a highly digitized economy. So when you go to India, the banking system is entirely digitized. You can send money frictionlessly um, and costlessly almost everywhere. You know, there's like automated KYC. And it's perfectly set up for this. Um, so both crypto and macro, because India has a growing role within the global economy. Um, and so for me, I realized that I was being, a lot of Indians were coming to me on Twitter on LinkedIn, all over the place, desperate for information. Um, and so we thought, you know what, we should go and do this. So, you, you know, we've been talking to um, people like Wazarex, who are, you know, one of the largest Indian, well, the largest Indian exchange, um, and, um, and a whole bunch of other people out there to say, okay, how can we help? What can we do? How can we educate people? Let's get them this quality content because Real Vision has this extraordinary, you know, library of the best content in the world. How can we give it give it to people in India and get them to understand the opportunities that this is going to create for all of them? Very interesting. Actually, my first eureka moment for crypto was when I was in India in 2016. I was working for a Swiss bank as a journalist, and I was familiar with crypto. And it was when Modi had actually put a stop on accepting these small banknotes, and it completely halted any merchant sales because people didn't want to trade in banknotes that were valid. There was queues for six or seven hours in each um, bank, and all the ATMs were out of banknotes. And that was my eureka crypto moment. So I found it really interesting that you were looking to expand that. Um, yeah. And that was really interesting when that happened. I saw it immediately. Everyone was so negative, like, this is terrible. I'm like, no, India's about to leapfrog the world because it's about to entirely digitize its banking system. And it proved to be true. I mean, the Indian kind of UPI payment system, India stack, all of this stuff is incredible. So, you know, that's why I'm really bullish on this whole India thing. They digitize. I mean, the US... Yeah, here in the Cayman Islands, it's an absolute nightmare. We're supposed to be a banking center. 
we're not. Um, it's 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 terrible. You can't transfer anything. They were walking checks from one bank to the other because they didn't have an intrabank transfer system. And the US is equally bad. People still write checks, while in India, people are just doing it on the mobile phone to your email address in seconds. No, less than a second. Dubai, they still have checks as well. Could you believe it? So the, the regulatory uncertainty that came with the crypto ban in India, you've just mentioned you're, you're really bullish on India. How are you viewing the, the crypto ban that came out in November? Well, the news? they tried to, and then it's been walked back. All I do know, again, I've just interviewed the uh, the founder of Wazarex on Real Vision yesterday. It'll be out next week or so. Is that... Everybody is talking to the politicians and the civil servants and explaining what this is about. You know, the Indian tech industry's got together and say, listen, you've got to understand what a big opportunity this is for us. So I think India, you know, first was like, whoa, 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 we don't know what you're doing here. And I, they, they're going to walk back from it because, you know, don't forget, if you go back three years ago, you were banned from using a bank for the crypto industry. So they were unbanked entirely. Then the banking was allowed. Then it was like, we want to ban it. We don't really know that it's like, well, maybe we didn't mean it. What's going to happen is they'll regulate it and they'll regulate it in a way that they're comfortable with and then the industry can flourish. Because if they don't, they're going to knock India out of the, this largest industry and the fastest growing industry in the world right now. It's, it would be crazy considering how much advantage India has. Developers, digital money system, you know, all of the things. I mean, I think Polygon is based in India and a few other crypto projects as well. And also, uh, personally, CoinMarketCap, our view count in India, we have a great community and our chat is going wild right now at this conversation and really excited to see what Real Vision India will bring moving forward. Uh, we are going to end with a kind of a crypto price prediction. I'm going to pick your brains a little bit. But just before that, is there any predictions for 2022 in the industry that you have that might be uh, something that we've not covered yet that you're expecting to see or hoping to see? I think that and I've been alluding this for some time because it's stuff that I'm working on that I can't really talk about, but I think this is the year of social tokens. People don't really yet, I talk about it, people don't really get it. We're seeing Bored Ape start with the Ape token. There's some of these, but these are still small scale. We're going to see some gigantic communities tokenize and we'll see the power of, of token economics. So that's the big thing that people aren't aware of because they haven't seen it yet. Um, so that's my big prediction for this year. In terms of price, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of got it right and wrong last year. I said Ethereum was going to be the big trade, and that did really well. Uh, I did think Bitcoin would end up much higher than a hundred thousand. I thought it was close to one hundred fifty thousand, and it stopped at sixty nine thousand, wherever it got to. And um, so I don't know if I'm qualified to make them a pr prediction, but I still, I'm, I stick with. You know, I use the logarithmic channel and the upside for Bitcoin, if we get traction again, particularly if we get, end up with some central bank easing, which I think we will get uh, the last part of the year or allusion to it, I still think Bitcoin can probably do, you know, it could probably do 300% or so this year and, and ETH could do more, significantly more again. ETH could do more. That is really interesting. And I think a lot of people are going to be thrilled at that prediction as well. Is it? it seems like a very... Yeah, but you know, you have to discount the fact that I didn't get it right last year. I mean, I got it right because I, you know, I made a lot of money from it, but I didn't get it right in terms of price prediction. Price predictions are impossible because, you know, the texture of markets changes over the year and you need to understand what that means. I mean, I'm not in this for the short term, so I don't really care, which is so... Um, but... All I care about is the adoption and stuff like that. So, 
yeah, it's tricky to make predictions, but we'll see. We'll have to see. And one final thing as well, because I think 20, we have seen recently the, the rise of standard of content creators as well. I know I reference your videos a lot as fantastic uh, educational pieces. We're seeing a lot of new content creators come into the space as well. What advice would you give for people that are video creators that are looking to expand their knowledge into crypto, people that are just getting in this year and kickstarting their journey? I think take people along your journey with you. Right? Nobody's got this figured out. Anybody who claims to have is a liar. We're all figuring out. It's brand new, and it's a lot of fun. And if you're a content creator, be authentically you and don't pretend to know everything, and just go on that that knowledge of that journey of knowledge, and you'll bring people with you because there's millions of people like you who are also exactly the same point, and they just want somebody to 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 take them along for the ride. And that's what I've done. I did my whole kind of Rails Adventures in Crypto on, on Real Vision Crypto was just me trying to figure it out. And you end up with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people following you in that journey because they want to see what I figure out and see what they can, how, if they can join the dots too. Exactly. And it's all about this kind of social journey as well. Raul, it's been amazing to catch up. I've really been looking forward to this and it has not disappointed at all. I really hope we can do this again soon and collab a little bit further. But thanks for your time. And let's hope your 300% Bitcoin price prediction is correct. We'll have to do a follow-up at the end of the year. Well, look, it did a whole sideways, right? So it's it's right now it's about zero, zero returns over a 12-month time horizon. So we've just had basically a bear market. So a whole sideways year. Normally, after that, you tend to get a larger parabolic rise. <laughs> Let's go. Fingers crossed. What a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much. My name has been Jessica for CoinMarketCap, Rob Hall from Real Vision. Thank you so much and hope to catch up again soon. See you. Thank you and have a great weekend. Thanks. Thanks.